Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST-97, the Sonic Youth uh, self-titled EP, in fact. Last week we did Confusion is Sex, which was a bit confusing. Now we're actually going back in time to an earlier EP that they released. And uh, interesting to delve deeper into this era of Sonic Youth. Uh, as Brant mentioned last episode, it's not really the era that uh, he and I first got into with Sonic Youth. I suspect the same goes for a lot of our listeners too, Brant. Probably. It's very different than the most popular Sonic Youth, but we were talking before the show, you know, likely not going to be my favorite Sonic Youth record, but it still is an interesting listen. I got to give it to him. I like this one better than Confusion is Sex. Yeah, this one's more, it's got a little bit more rhythm, actually. Yeah. Put it that way. Let's spiel for the dudes first. Keg, hit it. No, you hit it. Why me? I don't know. I always go first. Ah, oh, man. All right. Listen, so we did a DOS Domin episode two episodes ago, in fact. Sure SST95. did. Yeah, the Jupiter Eye episode, which was killer. Everyone should check that out. Oh, um, everyone did check it out, and everybody loves DOS Domin. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I mean, that's like, personality-wise, everyone's just yeah. like, what a nice bunch of guys. You can just tell. Yeah, no doubt, hey. Yeah. Well, here's here's what I wanted to mention about Das Domin. And I feel like I'm not jumping the gun because this is a record that came out on Twin Tone. It's their record Mousetrap brand. Yeah, a few people mentioned it this week. Like, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it, well, it, it definitely is. And um, so anyways, I was checking out some of the tracks on YouTube and they have got a video for this song, Noon Daylight. Hmm. The best thing about the video is Alex T., He's he's rocking some wire wire rimmed spectacles in the video hmm. that uh, with his hair and a vest and it looks it's just so rock hmm. the uh, he's the band just looks so killer and the hair is flying and it's a it's a great video. Are they from... playing outdoors in this video? Yeah, I think yeah, I've yeah. seen that's, that before. Actually, that's the one. I just love. Alex's look, he's just rocking his spectacles. I thought it was so cool. <laughs> thought it was awesome. Great dudes. I wanted to mention also, you may have seen this, but there's a new book out there on the Misfits. I did see it, yeah. It looked good. I didn't order it, did you? I did. Yep. I mean, I still have a soft spot for the Misfits. There is that one book called This Music Leaves Stains right. by James Green Jr. There's also the Erie Vaughn book, Misery Obscura. And they're pretty well documented in a number of other books. Uh, but this one looks kind of cool, kind of like a coffee table book. I'm definitely going to check it out. We had a bit of a, I can't remember what episode it was, but we we dove deep into Danzig one episode, and we've never really went into the Misfits. But I'm interested in checking out this new Misfits book. I still like some, like, Really good Misfits is really good, and it's still really good, you know? Oh, yeah, man. Like, the first Misfits I got when I was pretty young was uh, Evil Live. Yeah. And I still have a soft spot for that. And, you know, Walk Among Us and the legacy of brutality and the, the stuff that that I know that was on uh, a cassette I had 
with the yellow crimson ghost on the cover. It might just be called collection or self-titled or whatever. Collection. Yeah, I think that's collection one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this book is called Scream With Me, The Enduring Legacy of the Misfits. And it's by Tom Bergowitz. Mm. So um, check that one out. And another release that I wanted to mention actually is by this band called Rain Sanction Brand. Ever heard of them? No, never. So Rain Sanction were a sub-pop band, kind of, from the 90s, I suppose. They had a couple of albums that I really like, and I always have. And I bet you you would really like them, too. I was listening to them today. One is called Brock's Cabin. Mm -hmm. The other is called Mariposa. But um, Southern Lord released, re-released, sorry, their first I guess it's an EP. First, maybe it's an LP. It's uh, It's got eight tracks, so probably an EP. Their first self-titled EP, which was originally released in 1989. This is a band from Jacksonville, Florida. Started out late 80s. Few years into the 90s. They have a couple of singles out too, but I think you would really like them because they are, um, they're like a, a more psychedelic, heavier dinosaur junior almost maybe with some elements of goth or so, or now and then okay this uh the self-titled ep that they put out i actually had never heard i i read about it on a blog called uh, willfully obscure which is a great blog by the way yeah i know it yeah people should check that one out um but I really like Rain Sanction, always have. I'm glad to get like a physical copy of this self-titled EP. I'm pretty sure I listened to a couple of tracks on YouTube way back and mm. kind of lost sight of it because I wouldn't really have a copy to listen to. But those two CDs, they're actually not that easy to find, Rain Sanction, but when you do, they're cheap because no one really cares about them. Brock's Cabin, Mariposa, great records. There's this song on Mariposa called deeper road that is just it makes it makes your skin crawl your hair stand up it's so good love those guys so you should check out rain sanction and uh their new re-released ep on southern lord yeah i was gonna ask if it was if it was new i generally keep up with southern lord because those guys have great taste so yeah it came out in 2019 and it's an edition of 500 physical mm. copies that's probably how many fans there are total <laughs> could be that's all I got. What okay. do you have? I have a cool kind of re-release. Well, actually, I don't think it's a re-release. I think it's a first-time-ever release. It's a 7-inch single on uh, Pine Hill Records, who I'm sure we've mentioned before because I believe they've been putting out some down-by-law stuff lately, like a 10-inch. Yes. So they released this Cathedral of Tears 7-inch. Do you know who they are? I don't. Okay, so Cathedral of Tears, you know that TSOL album that I, I'm sure I've mentioned on the podcast before because it's one of my favorites, called Beneath the Shadows. They're kind of gothy. It's like the you know TSOL from Suburbia. It's like yep. that era of the band. Yep, you've mentioned it for sure. Jack Grissom left TSOL after that album came out, and he formed this band. Cathedral of Tears, and they released one 12-inch EP on Enigma Records, and then that was it for the band. But this is their demos. It's a 7-inch single with four demos on it. 
uh, one of the tracks, Black Emotion, was like their big hit. It's the only song that's repeated on this 7-inch and on the 12-inch EP. But cool band with, you know, a short history, but the people involved in the band had a deep, deep history. Of course, Jack was in TSOL and is is once again. Greg Kuhn, who played uh, keyboards on Beneath the Shadows and kind of was largely responsible for the sound of that album. He plays keyboards on this. Mike Patton is the bass player on this. He uh, was the bass player in The Middle Class. Yep. And he also played on a Trotsky Ice Pick album called Carpet Bomb the Riff that we'll be getting to in about 195 episodes from now. <laughs> Every time we say something like that, I just have to laugh because like, we're coming up on episode 100 and, you know, we're almost a quarter done. Yep. <laughs> uh, also on this release, Phil Maturano is the drummer. He played in a band called Lewis and Clark that released one album in 1987 that I really like on Posh Boy, kind of almost like a power pop album. The album's called Hollywood Cap- Capacity Maximum. And in that band, Lewis and Clark uh, was Lewis Guterres, who was in the Salvation Army in the Three O'Clock. And also, uh, Phil played with Mark Hodson, who, the uh, bass player for Surviving You Always. Oh yeah, played right. With, played with him in that uh, in this band called the Fontanelles. Uh, not on this release, though. On the twelve-inch EP that came out a year after this, this was released in nineteen eighty-three. On the officially released album, uh, Mickey Borens also played in the band. He was in a band called the Romans that I think I've mentioned a few times. And he was also in The Consumers with Paul Cutler and uh, David Wiley of Human Hands. And also on the 12-inch EP, not on this, here's something pretty interesting. Mark Ford plays on that 12-inch EP. He was in The Black Crows and is now in The Magpie Salute with Rich. Robinson, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's cool. Deep tendrils on that 7-inch. Yeah, it's really good, too. I mean, it's pretty gothy sounding, but I like it. Yeah, you mentioned middle class. You ever heard that middle class record, like their, I guess it's their last full length, Homeland? No, I've never heard it. It's uh, a post-punk gem, my friend, if you ever get a chance to, to listen to that one. I will check it out. Because it's not like, you know, out of vogue. It's like a post-punk record that they went into and like in, in their later era of middle class. And I just wonder if you mentioned that 7-inch and the 12-inch, if you would listen to that middle class LP, whether you'd see some overlap there. I mean, I now want to hear that release, but I bet you I bet you there's some overlap there. On it. I'm on it. Yep. Okay. You want to check out this uh, Sonic Youth EP? Let's do it. Let's go back to New York. History lesson, part one. All right, Ryan, this was originally released in 1982 on Glenn Branca's Neutral Records. It was the first release for that label. And then it was re-released in 84 on German label Zenzer. Same with uh, Confusion is Sex. And then it was re-released, re-re-released, I guess, (laughs) by SST in 1987 on LP CD and also on cassette, and then in 2006 on Geffen, with some really early live recordings from September and October of 1981, and a few more times after that on Goofin Records, which is Sonic Youth's label, and 
the name comes from a mashup of the Sonic Youth album Goo and Geffen. And it's also been bootlegged a few times, too. Hmm. Uh, the Geffen reissue has some lengthy liner notes from Glenn Branca, uh, Richard Edson, who plays drums on this, Byron Coley, and a few notes from Thurston, uh, which we'll be getting into when we check out the tracks. And it's got tons of uh, great early pictures of the band. So if you if you don't have this and you want to check it out, I would track down the Geffen reissue. It's probably the most reasonably priced option. Yeah, that's the one I have. And it's got the, uh, the uh, extra live tracks on it too. So here's something I found uh, from Glenn Branca about Neutral Records. Neutral Records, originally the Too Long Systems Neutralizers, was started because me and Josh uh, Bayer wanted to start a label, but more importantly, because we wanted to see Sonic Youth get a record out. You'll know why when you hear this CD. So that's from the Geffen reissue. Uh, as I mentioned, this album has a guy named Richard Edson on drums. So here's some stuff about Richard. He was in a band called the Bumblebees. I don't really know too much about them. He had seen uh, Thurston's first band, The Coachman. You know, he was aware of who Thurston was. Was looking to play, quote, things that were experimental and heavy and funky and grooving and jazzy, improvisational and tight. A lot of the stuff that was going on in New York around this era, like James White and the Blacks, or all of James White's projects and uh, the band material that Bill Laswell had, kind of had like almost like this funky, I don't know, it's almost like a Gang of Four type sound to me. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I really like those early Gang of Four records, and there's definitely some groove, definitely some funk. I think the New York downtown no wave stuff as it definitely it has some overlap but it's different sounding it's different so richard starts jamming with thurston kim and Anne demart marini's on keys and he thinks this lineup played maybe three or four shows and then one day at practice lee ronaldo is there and richard is told that Anne is out and lee is in on second guitar and he says, It soon became apparent that Lee and Thurston had a thing going that would become the signature sound of Sonic Youth. And Richard was also playing in a band called Conk. And here's what he says about Conk. Truth be told, Conk was closer to my heart than uh, Sonic Youth. They played a gig at, pretty famous gig, at an art gallery called White Columns, at a weekend art event called Noise Fest. Uh, that Thurston had a hand in putting together. And the director of that gallery was Josh Baer, who, who uh, financed Neutral Records. And Glenn Branca asked Sonic Youth to be the first band on the label. According to the book Goodbye 20th Century, they printed 3,000 copies on Neutral, and it was released in March of 1982. And Richard Edson left the band in the middle of February, so right before the record came out, to focus on Conk. Hey, have you seen how um, that that label, I think it, is it Light in the Attic or is it Futurismo? They're re-releasing all the conch stuff. Oh, really? I think it's Futurismo. Oh, that's Let me cool. Just look. Yeah. yeah, it's called The Magic Force of Conch, 1981 to 1988. The Definitive Sounds of a New York, New York Jazz Punk Afro Funk 
Disco Machine. Hmm. Conk. I got to check that out. I've never heard Conk before. Yeah, a big uh, Futurismo package. It looks to be possibly a triple LP. Hmm. Interested. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. White Hot Limited Edition 3LP, in fact. Okay, so they did some recording in October of 81 at a studio in Chelsea uh, with the goal of the sessions being the debut. They've never been released other uh, than on the Geffen reissue. There's a track called Where the Red Fern Grows, which is an early version of the track I Dreamed I Dream, which is on this EP. That's from those sessions. Uh, The main sessions for this album were done at Radio City Music Hall in December of 81 and January of 82. That studio was run by engineer Don Hunterberg, who himself had an avant-garde group called IMA, Intense Molecular Activity, and he had performed at Noise Fest as well. Uh, They did two sessions, 10 hours each. It supposedly cost $2,000, $1,000 each day for two days. Uh, Kim says in her book, they recorded the basics first, came back later to do the vocals and mix. Entire process took about two days start to finish. Uh, in Confusion is Next, another Sonic Youth book, she says, everyone was amazed at how well the first record came out. We had only been together two months. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, here's Richard from the liner notes to the Geffen reissue. Two or three takes were done of any one song. We were recording at the studio in Rockefeller Center, the very one that the Rockefellers built for Tuscanini and his NBC Orchestra. The studio was known previously as Plaza Sound. Uh, The Ramones debut was recorded there. Uh, Richard Helen the Voidoids' Blank Generation was recorded there. Uh, Blondie's debut was done there. Robert Gordon and Link Ray's albums were done there. And some of Ace Fraley's Kiss solo album was done at Plaza Sound. <laughs> Why do they, uh, some of the things that I was reading about this record was say that it's a live EP. Hmm. It's not live. No. Some of the things I've read, though, suggest it's live. Maybe it's Maybe they're getting it confused with the extra tracks. I don't they, think so. They though. must be. There are seven live tracks on the Geffen reissue, which I'm sure we've mentioned. In uh, Trouser Press, Ira Robbins says, the five-song debut EP proves that a reliance on artsy posturing can get boring in an awful hurry. Hmm. And I think that's pretty harsh because, I mean, not my favorite era of Sonic Youth, but... It's not boring. Yeah, I wouldn't... It's Exactly, that's what I was going to say. Like, it's not boring. He just seems to be really fixated on what he's calling rigidly defined beats. Hmm. But that is the no wave sound, that repetition or whatever. The flex book, I think has a bit of a better, a better review here. It says, it says not their best release, but definitely an important and influential release. The sound is angular, but danceable NYC, no wave and the noisier Mars sound. So kind of uh, that other no-wave band is referenced here in the Flex book. Right, Mars, yeah. So when I read those two together, I was like, it is angular but danceable, this sound. And it doesn't sound like Ira Robbins just likes that sound. So anyways, those are a couple of 
tidbits I found if you want to go through the tracks then. History Lesson Part 2 Okay, so the first track on side one is The Burning Spear. I'm going to read for you from the Geffen uh, notes here that Thurston did. He just does some very brief things on a couple of the tracks. He says, A few notes I made. Re Burning Spear. It was my intention that the first LP of Sonic Youth would have as its first note a struck E chord. Being immersed in underground reggae at the time, check Kim's bass playing on this track, she would play along with the first Black Uru LP in our Eldred Street apartment. I embraced the replacement of the E smash with the strike of the drum. A primitivist announcement to the world, or so I reckoned as young, romantic, no New Yorker. Uh, I definitely hear some dub reggae influence on this. It's got like a pretty funky drum beat. Yeah, it's an upbeat, uh, prototypical New York no-wave tune for sure. You can really start to hear some of their signature sounds though. And they're doing some cool stuff on this too. Like there's a drill in this that um, apparently Lee would play through an amplified, like through a wah pedal, a power drill. Hmm. And they're already at this point putting that drumstick under the strings that they did that they called creating a third bridge uh, that kind of en- enabled the guitar to more resemble uh, percussive instruments like bells and gongs and chimes. Uh, speaking of uh, reggae, Thurston got the title for this song from the reggae artist Winston Rodney, a.k.a. Burning Spear. Uh, he says, but the lyrics don't have anything to do with jaw love. They were more about living on 13th Street. <laughs> <laughs> There's a live version of this on the reissue, and it sounds like someone's hitting some metal, like on stage, and it made me think of that Swans book we were talking about last week that you're reading now. Uh, I'm pretty sure, it was a while ago I read it now, but I'm pretty sure Michael Girard in there, or somebody from Swans, is talking about an early tour he brought along like a cart from a kitchen that you like roll food on and they were like banging it on stage and stuff. Oh yeah. Like Michael yep. Gerard just pounding the shit out of it on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, check out the live version. It, it kind of reminded me of that. But uh, actually what that probably is, is, and this is in Stevie Chick's Sonic Youth book, here's Jim... Sklavunas, who was their second drummer, they had this, or sorry, their third drummer, they had this dilapidated set of tubular bells on stage. Thurston said about attacking it in the middle of the song, and the whole thing looked like it was about to fall over on him, but he said about it with such gusto and ferocity that it made for a pretty good stage spectacle. Hmm. Yeah, you don't see tubular bells on stage that much anymore. No. Not these days, anyways. Uh, the second track, I Dreamed, I Dream. This is one of the more famous songs, I would say, on the album. Uh, For th- sure. This song is, I think, the only one off this EP that made it onto that uh, Geffen compilation that I mentioned last week that came out in 1995 called Screaming Fields of Sonic Love. It's got a definite uh, Public Image Limited killing joke type vibe to it. Joy Division 2. Yeah, yeah, for sure especially halfway through when it builds up and the discordant guitars come in like that, those jagged kind of guitar stabs are totally Keith Levine sounding to me. 
Yeah. This one's got Lee and Kim on vocals. And you know what band I was thinking of when I was listening to this uh, was the band Deadbolt. Oh, with the grinder. No, no, just like the... It starts with, you know how Deadbolt... I don't know how often you listen to them. You know who I'm talking about, the surf band, right? <laughs> yes. They start... Not, a, off, not often. <laughs> they start... Not those ones. They start a lot of their songs with like drum drums and bass. And then like uh, he'll start playing like a, a reverby like guitar lick. And that's kind of what this song does. It totally sounds like Deadbolt. Uh, there's an early version of this on the reissue and it's called Where the Red Fern Grows. I also read that Kim and Richard wrote the lyrics in the studio for this song by cutting up newspapers and working out lines while listening to playbacks of the instrumental track. Track three on the A-side, She Is Not Alone. Uh, no vocals on this one until halfway into the song. It so- almost sounds like bongos or, or like rototoms going down. Uh, sounds like someone's plucking the strings, like kind of behind the nut or whatever. Oh, yeah. And like the last few, minute, few minutes of the song, someone's just down-tuning a guitar. Here's from Confusion and Sex. Edson gets the opportunity to demonstrate his Latin jazz percussion techniques. And he's quoted in Goodbye 20th Century as saying, I was trying to play like James Brown drummers, soft and so deep into a groove, and hoping that everyone else would approach it that way. Uh, Flip it over, and we've got I Don't Want to Push It, which Thurston has a little note on in the reissue. It was a direct lift slash inspiration from Can. He says he was trying to sound like Damo Suzuki on the track from Can. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have picked that up. Uh, Thurston does the vocals on this. He's kind of still finding his voice a little bit. For me, he almost does, like if you listen to it, like this weird hiccup thing, you know, kind of like a Lux Interior kind of thing or something like that. Oh, that yeah. I, that I've never heard him do again. This one's cool. It's got some real tribal drumming and a real propulsive rhythm and a and a bass line. Some of the drumming reminds me of some of the stuff you'd hear like maybe on a Jane's Addiction record. I th- I thought I heard like rototoms. Yeah. And then the last song on the EP, there's only two on side two, is The Good and the Bad. This one's all instro. I hear some more dub reggae. Uh, some more pill and maybe even some can on this one this is the kind of thing that they'd later insert into like the middle of a song this kind of thing you know more in like a rock structure or whatever i don't know the thing that struck me about this record is the bass sounds like it's earlier but the bass sounds better on this than it does on confusion and sex i guess is what i'm trying to get at yeah this track actually has thurston on bass and kim plays guitar on it oh yeah yeah I like this record. I like the sound of it. I like what they were doing. Obviously, they never, they didn't pursue this sound after this, but I really enjoyed listening to it. Had you uh, been into this one much before? Not really, man. No. Yeah, it's kind of a neat excuse to get into this sound, yeah. this era that they were in. Yeah, I'll be listening to this one again. More than Confusion is Sex, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree. What Did you, did you check out the live tracks? Yep. They're worth, you know, listening to once for curiosity for me. Not something I'll probably listen to a, a ton. Yeah, same here. You know, I don't know if there is a live 
Sonic Youth record or EP or anything like that that I've come across that for me anyways is like worth repeated listens. Uh, they put one out this year that was like super limited before. It's from maybe, I don't know, 2006 or so it was maybe recorded. Okay. It's, it's good though? It's good. Hold on, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, sorry, I'm looking at it now. It was recorded in 2008 in Battery Park, New York. It's got a pretty good set list. It's mostly stuff from uh, Daydream Nation on. It would have been right probably before their last studio album came out, The Eternal, because it came out in 2000, 2009. So. Uh, but it's good. It got reissued this year on Matador. Maybe yeah. that's worth checking out. Yeah. Let's talk about the artwork for this. I found some cool things on it. Kim says, I think this is in her book, it's taken from a self-portrait uh, the artist Jeff Wall made, where he basically created a doppelganger of himself in an enlarged print light box and they copied the idea adding in their own picture twice over so they came across as a band of eight instead of just four uh, the cover photos were taken by lee kim chose the typeface it she says it reminded her of a typeface that uh, of fonts used by art galleries i think this is in the liner notes there's an obscure east village reference on the on the cover, Richard Edson is folding his hands in an imitation of a Jesus statue he'd walked by on the way to the photo session. Oh, yeah. Yeah. can see that. Kim says, I think this is in her book, uh, when they played with Destroy All Monsters, you know, the Detroit band with Niagara Detroit and Ron Ashton. Niagara said to her, I can't believe you let yourself be photographed without lipstick. Like about the cover <laughs> of this EP. <laughs> Like Kim Gordon would care. Yeah. Hey, she's even sporting some very serious uh, spectacles there. Oh, yeah. Just like, just like Alex Totino. She used to wear flip-up flip up shades at this time, you know? Yeah. Or whatever, those things you clip onto your glasses, I guess, you know? I think they're called clip-ons. <laughs> <laughs> Stands to reason. Yeah. Uh, there's a few interesting things about the SST versions. The label on the LP misprints the track I Dreamed I Dream as I Dream I Dreamed. And the back cover of the LP is printed upside down. And also on the label, the A side is listed as the B side and vice versa. Uh, the CD version has some panels with some gig flyers on it. The cassette is SST cassette is cool. All five songs are on side one, kind of like Slayer, Rain and Blood. Uh, and then all five songs are played backwards on side two. And all the titles are written in a mirror image on the cassette label. I kind of want to hear that, the backwards recording of this. I bet you it would be still kind of funky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then some dead wax on the SST LP. Uh, the A-side says, SST's got a lot of nerve. And the B-side, you'll like this, Ryan, says, We love you, dinosaur. Ooh, I do. I just got all my uh, dino, my Sire Records dino re-releases. I've been listening to those this weekend. Yeah, what's the pick of the litter? Uh, they're all, I mean, you were right. You called it. I mean, I have, I have heard most of it before have them on singles and stuff i do enjoy the live 
uh, bonus discs. The uh, the band at the time was was different than it is now, right? It's not like the classic lineup, but right. still killer. The articles with Jay recently about the re-releases, though, are interesting because he really points out handed over as like a lost gem. It That's, is a lost gem. Yeah, that was the the fourth one. It, and it's true. It's true because the first three um, uh, of those four are the ones that definitely have the most street cred. But all of those records have got killer tunes and are killer LPs. And they also have some very killer B-sides that are included in these packages. So I don't know. I was already complaining about how much it sucks to rebuy this stuff. But I'm who am I kidding? I'm going to rebuy <laughs> Dino. I'm going to rebuy Dino every time. Yeah. That's the way they do it, man. Yeah. Ballot result time? Let's do it. Ballot result. Why don't you tell me your pick, Ryan? We're on a roll here. You picked the ballot result last week for a Sonic Youth record. Oh, I feel like this one is a bit obvious, though, because, I mean, I would definitely go with I Dreamed a Dream. Yeah, it's a good track. I would have... I really like the Burning Spear, too, but... It's good. They're yeah. both good. Yeah. This This... Uh, EP was surprising to me. I think that there are later Sonic Youth albums that I might not even like as much as this one. Yeah, maybe. So what is the ballot re- result then? You can't just leave me pick it. You picked it. I dreamed I dreamed. Whoa. Or I dream I dreamed, whichever you prefer. I guess we're doing the SST version, so it's I dream I dreamed. Yeah, let's do that. I was just <laughs> going to say that. Good one. Good one. Ryan, what's next week? Next week, we're back with Painted Willie. It's the Upside Down Town LP, SST98. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.